Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. About 20 years ago, a professor started working on a project that, at first, seemed to go terribly wrong. The project was to help poor people by giving them technology, to bring them information they hadn't had about health, about crop prices, all sorts of things. It was going to be a game changer. I was very much part of this sort of tech evangelism sort of philosophy of this win-win idea that you can make profit and do good at the same time. That's the professor, Pyle Aurora. Coming from India and then moving to the States, I think I was pretty typical of the non-resident Indian who has this aspiration to give back to her community and go back and do something meaningful. And so technologies have always sort of built into the narrative that you can really transform societies, particularly when there's tremendous amount of social failings. And so this project was no different. And so that was the plan, transform society. Kind of ambitious, but what's wrong with ambition? Aurora headed to a very poor village in the south of India and helped install kiosks with information and a big communal screen with important economic data which is when things took a strange turn. You know, it was very popular, but for very different reasons. It was really popular because, well, kids were gaming on these stations and people were watching porn. And, well, you know, across board, they were watching Tollywood movies. That's how they just, we got them to even sit down and look at the information apps on healthcare and uh, soil fertility rates and all that boring stuff, which we thought they really needed. In fact, you could argue that the strange turn that Aurora's project took wasn't strange at all. When villagers got access to technology, they did exactly what we do with technology. Unless, of course, you spend most of your time online looking at crop prices. The thing is, we thought it was an anomaly. And usually that's how you think. You're like, ah, oh, maybe this is quite unusual. But this is not typical, obviously, right? But every time I have done this kind of research, time and again this sort of narrative keeps coming back. And then I start to recognize that what I am consuming in terms of the discourse among aid agency donors and these think tanks is really about let's change these communities in a serious and meaningful way. And, you know, among tech companies where they're like, look, let's do good. And then you really sort of get swept in this tide because you really want to believe it. Aurora is an associate professor at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, and she's the author of The Next Billion Users, Digital Life Beyond the West. And she says that experience a couple of decades back made her fundamentally think differently about how tech is changing the world and how it will change it. Because keep in mind, the real future of tech is in places like South Asia and Africa and South America. That's where the population is young and growing. But so far, many charities and aid groups have poured tremendous amounts of money into using tech as a silver bullet to help kids learn, to improve health outcomes, to offer financial opportunities to lift people out of poverty. And certainly, there is a place for tech in those realms. But by and large, that's not what people are doing on their phones. 
we socialize, we watch porn, we binge watch on Netflix forever and even against our best judgments, you know, and but nobody's having a moral panic saying, oh my God, look at people in the Netherlands and in the US, look at them consuming leisure at like this unprecedented rate. No, well, how do we respond? We come up with a host of new startups. We try to cater to every little demand and need to really harness that kind of leisure lifestyle. So why do we have these different expectations and why are we treating them so differently, right? And once we realize that the poor are no more virtuous than the rest of us and projects designed around that assumption won't quite work out, the story changes and the future of technology becomes clearer. It has completely embedded in their lives. We have more cell phones than people in China, in Namibia. There's like more than 100% uh, penetration rate. And these guys have not even started really maximizing this, right? By next year, there's going to be more data produced from outside the West than, you know, where we considered as the actual markets, which is us. And here's another way in which the West is diverging from much of the rest of the world. This is sort of like this disruption of borders and this sort of getting that extra courage and extra push from each other in spite of not knowing or ever meeting these people from different nations. Why do 70% of them feel like they are global citizens, right? A BBC survey conducted just recently said, while in many places in Europe, like Germany or the US are considering themselves as less of a global citizen, like something like 35%, including the Netherlands, people in India or in Africa, many parts of Africa, like we're talking about 75 to 80% say they're a global citizen. And mind you, they may never leave their village. And becoming global citizens, Aurora says, has increased their desire to be more like advanced industrialized economies, but not the advanced industrialized economies you might have in mind. Many people are not trying to aspire to be like the Netherlands or like the United States or the UK. They're trying to aspire to be Singapore. Because that assures them a certain kind of living and less inequality than what we have here. At the end goal is, do these people have access to affordable homes guaranteed by the government? Is there homelessness? No. Is there high crime rates? No. Is there like good, good education? Excellent education access. So, you know, if you look at all the indicators of what makes you happy, what makes you enabled... These countries are doing far more than what we would like to give credit for because it just it doesn't go with our liberal democratic values. All of which is to say that tech is changing the world, which Aurora hoped it would when she embarked on the project in southern India 20 years ago. But how it's doing it? Well, in some of the ways that you already know, in some of the ways probably that tech has changed your life, and it's upending things in a few other ways that might surprise you. Like, for example, I found this trend in Saudi Arabia very interesting where these girls, for example, would go on Twitter and chat with total strangers, which, by the way, so you don't have a Tinder at work in Saudi Arabia or, or in India because it's too explicit, right, that you're trying to date. And you can't be going on that because that's too much of an alarm bell to your community. So what happens is these sort of very so-called neutral platforms like Twitter and Facebook double down as dating sites. And so that's one big learning, right? And then on top of it, people are reaching out to strangers, unlike 
us who tend to value our privacy and we friend less than 4% of our sort of Facebook friends are actual strangers, whereas there it could be as much as two thirds. And say these young teenage girls in Saudi Arabia, they reach out to the stranger, they have this long chat, and then they do something which is so extraordinary is that they share in a private message a photograph of themselves unveiled which, you know, can really get them into serious trouble and also imprisonment because there's this whole morality police that actually would condemn that. And so she's trusting, based on the sort of communication with that person, that they will have a serious relationship. And he his only most adequate response is to ask her to marry him. So that is, I find, really interesting. So in really? some so sense, wait, once, yes. Once the man is shown the picture, he'll ask her to marry him? Yeah, because he has to do something which is equally measured in its weight of what she has done to him, right? Mm. She is telling him, I trust you with my life by showing you a photograph of me unveiled. And he has to say something equally and proportionately fitting, which is, I love you. Will you marry me? And of course, then she can say, no, not yet. But that's okay, you know. But it is really important that he reciprocates in a way which respects the fact that she's taken such high amount of risks. And it's her way of saying, I love you. That transforms in, in her, her set of choices, which are beyond her immediate surrounding. And it also shows that maybe she is able to pursue and push that boundary with her own family, who's also possibly changing, right? Regardless of the media rhetoric. And in my own like work, I've seen so many incremental but amazing stories for like uh, people are entrepreneurial because when we're talking about photoshopping for displaying yourself and curating yourself on Facebook, that's a whole little micro industry. So I remember this young guy was like, he's like, I don't want to be a farmer like my father. So I want to do something entrepreneurial. So he says, you know what, I'm going to do these fun photoshopping of like all these interesting setups because I know there's a market. So I'm going to photoshop Angelina Jolie next to somebody if they request. Or I'm going to have these <laughs> prototypes or like Bollywood stars or matrix actually. So you can put your head on a matrix figure and And that is entrepreneurial. I mean, and it's so cool. And he did succeed in moving from his future as another farmer and his family is also relieved that because, you know, farming is extremely precarious, especially with the whole climate change. And they don't want that future for their children. So, yeah, so these are, of course, very substantive, meaningful changes. And that's why I'm not at all a pessimist about technologies. Mm. I'm just saying that we need to understand that how we can't put ourselves, uh, you know, selves on the sort of a moral high horse and say, well, since you didn't follow this prescription of what we thought you were supposed to, like checking this crop price or, you know, because usually that's how these projects are tailored, that they are looking for very specific outcomes because donor agencies want to see those results. Right, right, right. right. And, and that project's considered a failure. But what if they also benefited from all these other host of activities and got inspired? And so we are in for the long haul, right? Which is not easily sort of computable. Pyle Aurora is an assistant professor at Erasmus University, Rotterdam. She's the author of The Next Billion Users, Digital Life Beyond the West. Pyle, thanks for your time. Thank you. And on our website, we're going to have more about the next billion users, which is actually a term widely used in the tech industry, including a report from the Center for Global Development, 
which says that access to the Internet in low- and lower-middle-income countries went from 6% of the population 10 years ago to more than 30% now. A surge which creates both opportunity and some chaos. That's at innovationhub.org. Thanks to everyone on our staff, senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Sarah Leeson, and engineer Doug Sugertz. And a big welcome to those listening on WHYY in Philadelphia who have joined us this month. We're thrilled to have you. From WGBH Radio and PRI, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. PRI, Public Radio International.